Hello, and welcome to Imprint Podcast, where we share sermons and conversations about faith, life, and culture. We believe it's the mark Jesus makes in us that allows us to positively mark our world. To find out more about life at Imprint, please head over to weareimprint.org for more information. We hope you are blessed by today's content. Samuel, thank you, worship team. Y'all were amazing. I want to plug Wanda again, even though I am not a lady. Um, I believe it's this Saturday, right? Woo! It's coming very soon. So, yes, if you're a lady in this house, or if you know any ladies, invite them to Wanda. I know some of these speakers, and I'm going to see. Janina doesn't know this, but I'm going to see if I can sneak in, maybe help out with tech team or something. <laughs> because the speakers are too serious, so I'm too, too excited. So, um, I might be there. <laughs> but you won't see me, but I'll be hearing. <laughs> Anyway, um, yeah, my name is Wale. Thank you for coming to our 2 p.m. service. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series called Church of the City. And before I dive into my talk for today, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what you're like when people hurt you. You know, what are you like when someone says a degrading comment to you, when someone did something that undermined you, and once someone purposely went out of their way to take advantage of you, how do you tend to respond? And I think, unfortunately, this is a day-to-day occurrence for us, for people taking advantage of us. For example, we might, on a day-to-day occurrence, we might hear a sharp statement from a family member. We might receive passive-aggressive comments from a work colleague. Or we might even see trolling comments on our social media feed, on our social media feed. Or maybe we might be faced with constant disappointment from a friend or even a loved one. And on a mountaintop, many years ago, centuries ago, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, Jesus addresses how we should respond to situations like this. And he also paints a picture of how this can be an opportunity, how our response can be an opportunity to witness, um, to witness, to be a witness of who he is and eventually point people to him. And we can see this in a very long talk called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And I like to think that the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus' first um, base, I like to think that the Sermon on the Mount is like the first talk that you would give or the first tip that you would give to a child on the first day of school. I like to think it's like this. For example, a good parent before their child starts school would bend over to their child and, and would give them some best tips. They might say something like this. Remember to be nice to everyone. Don't be rude to your teacher. Make sure you eat all your lunch. Make sure you eat all your lunch. And also make sure you don't lose your jacket. And every good parent would want to give 
their child some advice before they thrust them into the world of education and into a world of new social dynamics. And this is what Jesus is doing on the Sermon on the Mount. He's basically saying to thousands of people, thousands of his followers listening, he's basically saying, this is my best advice for you on how to survive this world and how to reflect me in this world. And we're going to focus on just a short extract of this sermon. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42 says these words. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles as well. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is a part of um, some text that some commentators literally call it as the antithesis. And this literally means the opposite of something. So, for example, love is the antithesis of selfishness. And the reason why this part of this talk is called, the part of this Sermon on the Mount, is called the antithesis, is because Jesus starts off this statement. He starts off um, this passage by saying these words. You have heard that it is said. You have heard it is said. And then he goes on to flip it and he says, but I say to you. So what is Jesus about to do? Basically, he's about to correct some faulty interpretations and applications of some well Old Testament laws. He's basically about to say, you guys have believed this. This is, this is how you guys have interpreted this law, have interpreted the application of this thing. But this is the right, this is the right interpretation and this is the right application. For example, in this text, he says, he says, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And then he goes on to paint four illustrations of what that could look like for the everyday Jew who is trying to follow Jesus. But before we even go into the right application of some of these Old Testament principles, why did Jesus have to correct their interpretation of these principles? For example, why did he have to correct their application of eye for eye? You know, this was a Jewish principle that was found in the lex taliosis, which is the law of retaliation. That's what it means, lex, talion, lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. And essentially, this law painted and it, it basically highlighted to the Jews, this is how you should respond if someone takes advantage of you. This is what you ought to do. And it says, and it says this um, in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 18 to 20. This is the law essentially painted out. It says, anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. So this is the law of retaliation. 
but it was normally the civil authorities or the governing authorities in Israel that would carry out this act of justice on behalf of those who had been affected. And for the early Jews, the fear of retaliation, the fear of if I do something to someone else, it might come back on me, this basically kept them in this place where they, well, it kept them in this place of peace and it also corrected injustices as well. And in the Old Testament, this was God's way of establishing justice among his people and minimizing evil among his people. And as people, but as we know, people often would respond in dramatic ways that would not fit the crime. And this is what they saw um, with the early Jews. You know, for example, let's say, even in our day-to-day context, let's say, um, you were speaking to someone, and then this person was like, I am so, so angry. I am so angry that I am going to smash this person's face in. And then you'll be like, whoa, like what happened? What did they do? And then the person comes to you and says, you know, they parked in my car park space. And you'll be thinking, oh, okay, like surely like the crime doesn't fit what you want to do, but you know. and. You know, this person flared up and they were ready to respond out of anger. They were ready to just, you know, completely eradicate that person. Their action, their punishment that they wanted to to act on did not fit the crime of the other person. And let's be honest, we all have friends, we all have family members who perhaps flare up. And when they say what's wrong or what someone else did, what they want to do doesn't fit <laughs> the, the act in itself. And the law of retaliation, just to reiterate, was established so people would not respond in inappropriate ways. It was an equalizer. For example, eye for eye, a life for a life. And even though this law, the law of retaliation, was established centuries ago, many of us don't realize that our world still operates in this. For example, if you hurt me, I hurt you. I remember growing up, I heard many Nigerians say to one another, if you disgrace me, I'll disgrace you. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) And for example, you know, a well-known saying, let's say if um, a bad bad guy or a bad team finally gets what they deserve, what do we say? They got what they deserve. We tend to say that. When a football team that cheats often finally loses, we rejoice. And in an article that I read earlier, it talks about how everyday life is filled with small acts of retaliation, such as gossiping about a colleague who undermined you, lashing out to a waitress because your food is delayed, engaging with endless Twitter arguments, or perhaps even airing a friend's text who was too slow to respond to you. We all do it. (laughs) And there's something in all of us that says, I can't allow this person to get away with what they did to me. And sometimes it is this justice cry, it is this cry that emulates God's heart for justice. But often it's pride. 
It's because we esteem ourselves so much that we're afraid of looking weaker. We are afraid of looking less than. That we can't rest with the thought that someone else has got one up on me. That someone else may potentially have the last laugh, and it's not me. And it feels like we have lost this sense of security and even a sense of personal dignity. And going back to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is concerned that this law of retaliation, this pursuit of revenge, is not being used to minimize evil, but it's actually be, it, it has actually been flipped. It's now being used to promote evil. For example, in Jesus' time, the Jews were under Roman law, and the, the Romans will often mistreat the Jewish civilians, the, the Jewish civilians. So many Jews wanted to strike back. They wanted to like fight back. They were, they were tired of being oppressed. They were tired of being abused. And this led to a rise of various resistant groups called um, various resistant groups. And one of the groups were called the Zealots. And the Zealots were extremists. Literally, historians called them the world first terrorists. They were people who would be quick to assassinate anyone, assassinate any one of the Roman um, influencers or those who held um, certain, certain ranks. So there were terrorists. And this is the landscape of Jesus's teaching. Retaliation was on a high, so much so that terrorism was a popular, was becoming increasingly popular. And in this context, Jesus says, you have, heard, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In other words, you thought it was fair and you thought it was right to retaliate. But I tell you, do not come against an evil person. And Jesus goes into four illustrations of how the Jews listening to him could respond when someone like the Romans mistreat them. And I want to paint out some of these four illustrations for us. In verse 39 of Matthew chapter 5, we see the first illustration. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then turn, turn to them the other cheek as also. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So this refers to being publicly disgraced. For someone to strike you on the right cheek, potentially it means that they must have backhanded you. And they must have done it in a public setting. And this was total disrespect. Even if someone backhands you now, it's total disrespect. <laughs> but it was you saying to that person and everyone else publicly that I do not rate this person at all. You know, I think it's the equivalent of us walking down the high street and then all of a sudden someone pours green gunge all over us like there's no way hiding there's no way trying to scrub that off immediately everyone else is seeing what has been done to you and everyone else is like oh you know that that's it's, it's really peak for that particular person and in this Jesus is telling his Jewish followers if this happens to you if a Roman officer for example comes up to you and slaps your right cheek turn to them and give them the other cheek. And by doing this, of course, 
these individuals, these Jews, were placing themselves in a greater, were placing themselves um, in greater vulnerability, and they were risking more embarrassment. But it was given, but by doing this, they were giving the officer, the Roman officer, an opportunity. It was, sorry, by, by doing this, by literally turning the other cheek and by allowing the Roman officer to slap them again. In, in some weird type of sense, there were, it was an opportunity to serve that Roman officer. Perhaps that officer had a lot of tension inside of him and he just needed to release something. <laughs> but, but that was the principle. And as comical as that sounds, as outlandish as that sounds, I remember when I was um, in sixth form and I had a friend, um, a female lady, um, who, yes, she used to get really stressed. And one day, I remember vividly, she said to me, she said, Wale, you know, I just, I'm really stressed with exams and stuff, and I feel like I need to punch something. I'm like, oh, amazing. And she said to me, can I punch your arm? And I'm like, okay, sure, if that, if that could help. I didn't know, you know, I didn't expect it to be hard, you know. I didn't expect it to be hard. But no exaggeration, this girl, she took her fist and she went, boom, and no exaggeration, for two periods, I had a dead arm. And, and I could see, even in a literal sense, how my arm served her. And I guess this is kind of what, <laughs> in some weird type of sense, I guess this is what Jesus was trying to paint, that rather, you know, this person has abused you, how could you flip it to use it as an opportunity to serve that person? The second illustration we see is in, Verse 40, and it says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So this refers to a legal situation. In Jesus' day, the most basic shirt was something called a tunic, which was a full-body garment. And they would often um, cover themselves, cover their tunic with a cloak, or in our translation, a coat. So a coat or a cloak will cover their tunic. And if someone sued you, if someone had something against you, it was of custom to give them your shirt, a.k.a. your tunic. But you still had your coat. You still had your cloak, in other words. However, your cloak slash coat was a necessary piece of clothing. And when it was given as a pledge towards someone that was suing you, that person had to return it to you by sunset because often it was used by the poor. Poor people would use their cloak as a covering sheet when they were sleeping. So Jesus is expecting a lot from his followers. He's essentially saying, if someone is trying to sue you and get your tunic, get your shirt from you, don't just give them your shirt, give them your coat as well. In other words, Jesus is saying, reverse the dynamic. This person is trying to exploit you, but now use it as an opportunity to bless them. The third illustration is in verse 41. It says, if anyone forces you to go on one mile, go with them two miles. And this imagery is more of a workplace context. Because the Jews were under Roman rule, so Roman officers um, 
would, on a, on a regular basis, Roman officers used to pick on Jewish civilians, and they used to be like, you know, hey, you, this is all my stuff. Come and carry it for me, and let's walk. So these people, imagine, they would have to pause, they would have to stop whatever they're doing, and they would have to carry some of these Roman soldiers' stuff for miles. And as you, could, as you could imagine, this must have been extremely annoying, exhausting, and even tedious. And it reminds me of when I was a teenager and when I would be watching a really good show. Let me use Scandal, for example. And, you know, let's say I'm watching Scandal and it's getting to a really good part. It's getting to the climax and I can see Olivia's Pope's lip quivering. And, and it's getting to that point. I'm literally at the edge of my seat. And then all of a sudden, my mom says, Wally! I'm like, yes, mom. And she says to me, go and help your dad in the garden. Or maybe she says, go and hang up the washing on the line. And no exaggeration, internally, I'll be like, no! But externally, I'll be like, yes, mom. And I used to, um, you know, quickly, like I quickly used to like um, run to the washing machine, I'll collect the washing. And before I even go to the washing machine, I used to boost the volume so loud that I could hear it from the garden. And I would go to the garden and I wouldn't, if I'm being honest, I wouldn't even do a good job. I would literally um, just, it, whilst the clothes are scrunched up, I, I would literally just put them on the line like that or scrunched up. I wouldn't even spread it out. Because I was in a haste, I wanted to get back to my show. And the reality is, um, I didn't do a good job because I wanted to, yeah, like, like I said, I wanted to get back to my show. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying, if someone forces you, go, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. In other words, he's saying, be a greater help. So could you imagine if this principle, if you actually applied it to your work life? For many of us who are working professionals, I'm sure you know what it's like when your day finishes at 5 p.m. But at 4 p.m., your boss now decides to give you a whole load of work that literally would last a whole day. And you see that email and your heart is palpitating. Like, why is it now that they want to give me this workload? You know, often we might, we might tend to do the bare minimum or we might not necessarily go over and beyond like I would with my, with my washing line. I would literally just, I wouldn't spread the clothes. I would just pull it on top of the line. But Jesus illustrates this, that when you are forced to work, go over and beyond. That's his third illustration. The fourth illustration is this. Verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. And this, in this illustration, Jesus is describing two types of people. The first type of people, the first, type of, the first group of people are those who don't deserve your help. The second group of people are those who can't afford your help. For example, in the area of finance, let's say, you know, um, you have a family member who's been quite hostile, who's been rude um, to you several times, who constantly undermines you. Let's say if that family member is in a financial situation and says, oh, can I borrow, you know, X amount? 
it would be very tempting to be like, forget you. You will never get a dime from me, you stupid individual. I don't know if you speak to your family members like that. <laughs> but, but, just, but just imagine. Or for example, if you're a lady in the house and you have a sister, let's say your, your sister has... Um, has an event, maybe she has a date and she wants to look really cute. And she says, oh, sis, like, can I borrow your jacket? You know, that jacket, that brown one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can I borrow that jacket and stuff? You might be like, there's no way you're borrowing my jacket when you never, when you never allow me to borrow any one of your clothes. There's no way. So, and, and we almost see that tack for tack type of thing. And this is the first group of people. This is the first group of awkward people. The second group of awkward people that Jesus describes are those who can't even afford your help. For example, you know, perhaps you have a friend that says, hey, bro, can I borrow 50 pounds and I will monzo you that 50 pounds later tonight. But you know that 50 pounds will never come. That tonight will never come back to you. And this is the second type of people that Jesus talks about in this illustration, those that can't afford your help. And Jesus is saying both these type of people, both these groups of people, don't turn them away. And he's essentially challenging our right to judge whether someone is good enough to receive our help. And he's calling us to give generously without question or without even evaluating the credibility of that individual. So he's basically saying, even if that person, even if you think that person doesn't deserve your help, even if you think that person can't afford to pay you back, would you still be sacrificial enough and generous enough to give to that person? And in these four illustrations, you know, Jesus is not asking us to be soft. Jesus is not asking us to be passive and to just allow people to just walk all over us. No, he's not saying that. But I think he is saying this. He is calling us to change the dynamic. He's calling us to change the dynamic from taking to giving. By us showing mercy when someone slaps you, literally or figuratively, or giving excessively when someone tries to cheat you, or doing or overdoing in a good sense when someone is trying to use you, this changes the dynamic of the interaction. A situation that at first was used to and that was designed to embarrass you, shame you, and take advantage of you, it's now an opportunity for you to bless the offender. And Michael J. Wilkins says this. He says, the obligation of Jesus' disciples is not first to retaliate for the evil done to them or to protect themselves and their personal interests. Their primary obligation is to serve those around them, both those who seem to deserve it and even those who don't. When we do this, what was meant for evil can be used for good, and it can bring that person into an understanding of who Jesus is. Because this is the very principle that Jesus lived by, by serving his enemies. For example, he loved the world so much that he gave his life for sinners who could never pay him back. 
And I feel like if we want to share Jesus with our world, if we want to share Jesus with our city, with our friends, with our family members, even with our colleagues as well, then we need to readdress the way we, the way we respond. And I believe that Jesus is inviting us into servanthood rather than retaliation. That's what he's calling us to operate in if we truly want to reflect him. And I think for many of us, like I remember I was in a situation where I, you know, someone was speaking to me. Actually, it was a group of people that were speaking to me and they were really angry, really fiery about this situation. And I said, guys, I have to be honest, you might need to let this one go. And they said to me, they said, if we let this go, we lose our power. And that was the reality of how they felt. They felt that their anger was the very thing that kept them secure, that kept them felt like, that made them feel like, do you know what? I can still project something on this other person. I'm still strong enough if I hold on to my anger. But I believe that Jesus is actually inviting us into changing the, the, the dynamic of an interaction where perhaps those who persecute us, where perhaps people who try to take advantage of us, how could we spin it on its head to actually make that opportunity into a moment where we can actually give and bless those people? Amen. So let me just pray for us into that. Let me, if we can all stand up. Yeah, let's just close our eyes if we can. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, you know exactly what we have been fighting, perhaps in our households, perhaps in our personal relationships or even working environments and campuses. And God, firstly, we ask you to forgive us in any way that we have responded in a way that does not reflect your heart, that does not reflect your kindness. We just let go of that narrative that says our power is in our anger. And in your mercy, God, would you would you mature us? Would you help us let go of, of the addiction of having the final say? And would you help us to be merciful just like your son Jesus was merciful and I pray that right now opportunities that have been designed to embarrass you that have been designed to take advantage of you to shame you to use you I pray that the Lord would just cause something inside of you give you the strength where you can use those opportunities and the wisdom where you can use those opportunities to actually bless the other person and to bring them into the knowledge of who God is. So God, I pray that right now, would you give your people in this place wisdom? Would you give them understanding? 
even when they feel tired, even when they feel burdened? Would you give them a sense of joy that would literally be their strength, that would help them to persevere through the hardship, that would help them to persevere through the trauma? I just feel like for someone, the Lord is just saying, don't stop pushing. Don't get weary of doing good. And I just, I'm just hearing this narrative of like, there's someone who, you you hear the Lord very clearly. And um, he actually does says, you know, don't do this, you know, be careful of, of saying this. But your response is literally like, ba, 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 ba. Like you have just endless, um, yeah, you just you just have, <laughs> I guess, endless excuses. And I feel like right now it's just an invitation to just drop the excuses. And I think it's just a simple truth that if we want to be like Jesus, we have to act like Jesus. So God, help us to see you clearly and help us to reflect you.